Well, I'm glad you're here today. We're uh, doing well with the new schedule, and uh, we, uh, we've had two services so far, and God's presence has been real. He has spoken to people, and we believe the same here today. I, I, I had one of those weird, <coughs> weird things happen. I, I'm going to show my age a little bit here. Uh, but this morning when I woke up, woke up early, go in there to, first thing I do is I look in the shower, make sure nothing happened to me overnight. Uh, and, and then I come and look in the mirror and, uh, um, as I look in the mirror, this is what went through my mind. Captain's log star date, October 2020. This virus continues to plague this planet. They're full of fear and divisiveness in this planet currently. And uh, you know how uh, Captain Kirk used to do that for you that know about Star Trek. But I just thought, I thought of it because, man, here we are, October 2020. And uh, remember back in March, they say, oh, it'll just be a few weeks. And, uh, well, the heat comes. It'll get rid of it. And uh, here we are in October and flu season's around. So uh, we knew it all come back around. But... And this is my thought too. Uh, we're, we social distance. Y'all are doing a very good job. I'm I'm proud of you. Uh, but but uh, God does not want us to social distance from Him. He wants us really close, and and that's His desire. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 37. For you that are new, we're in the midst of a series called a Test of Character. Because we believe 2020 has been a test of character. And uh, we, we've we gone through it. We we continue to go through it. We'll see elections between now and, and uh, November, month away from now. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, with all that and the divisiveness in our nation. We have had a test of our true character. And as believers, are we going to show Christ or not? And we've been looking at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a sin that a sin area that we all struggle with, and we don't like to admit it, but it's envy. Uh, and and envy the the definition of envy is a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, success, possessions, etc. In other words, somebody got a promotion at job over you or you think you should have got it you're envious of them getting that and you're angry at them for doing that maybe somebody gets the car that you wanted somebody gets the grade or gets the girl or, and you you did not get it you're envious of them and uh and that's the way you are in fact shakespeare back when he was writing came up with the term the green-eyed monster is what he used to describe envy and uh, we've got, uh, out of that came our statement, green with envy. And you think, why green? Why did green get chosen for envy? Well, they they believed that uh, green was the color, color of jealousy and unhealthiness and covetousness because they felt like you released more bile in your system and it made you green. Uh, I, that's true. Uh, go look it up. Uh, you people at home are looking it up right now. Uh, I know that. But that's that's what it means to be green with envy. And we've all been envious. We've all struggled with that. But there's some some uh, side effects of envy that I want you to see right quick. First of all, uh, envy uh, steals your joy and contentment. This just automatic. It steals your joy and 
contentment. Uh, number two, it, it, it shatters relationships. You see relationships get shattered because of envy. Uh, a third thing is it leads you, and this is where we're going to go in a few minutes, it leads you to do irrational things. I mean, people have been known to go, uh, you know, go postal because of some envy that is there. And then one last thing, it does affect you physically. It does have a physical uh, impact on your life. So uh, I, I, I was thinking about a time of envy in my life. When I was younger in the ministry, there was uh, churches in our area that were flourishing more than we were flourishing. And uh, I, I, I just felt that twinge of envy. Why, why not us? And I remember the Lord just impressing upon my heart, said, okay, Mark, here's what we're going to do to defeat that envy. I want you to go to each of these churches and sit in their parking lot and pray blessing over them that you would want over you. And uh, God took his sandpaper and just took away that envy in that area. And so uh, we all battle envy. But, but nothing compared to what Joseph's brothers had the envy for their brother. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 37. We're going to begin in verse 12. And uh, I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. I'm going to stop along the way just so uh, things we highlight. And then at the end, I'm going to get practical for us in, in some areas. So Genesis chapter 37 verse 12 says this. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Now, I'm not going to stop this often, but for some of you are new, some of you are new to the Bible, I want to just give you characters that are involved in it, okay? There's Jacob, who is also known as Israel, and Jacob is the father. Jacob has 12 children, uh, excuse me, 13 children. Twelve of them are sons, one daughter by the name of Dinah. The two youngest sons are named Joseph and Benjamin, okay? Those are the youngest, and they're Joseph's by far his favorite because she was born to the love of his life, Rachel. The ten brothers, older brothers, hate Joseph with a passion. And so when it says, now his brothers, that's who he's referring to, the other ten. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Israel being Jacob, okay, are, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Let's stop there just a moment. The the hometown is Hebron, okay? Hebron, actually the term means fellowship, and I'm going to come back to that in just a second. So they've been sent from Hebron to Shechem, which is about 50 miles. Um, Jacob has some land there, but you may remember they don't have a good history in in uh, Shechem. Uh, Simeon and Levi, uh, their sister Dinah was uh, taken advantage of, abused there by a guy in 
Shechem. And what happened is Simeon and Levi deceived all the men of that, the, that city, the village, and went in there and, and killed them. But, and so now all of a sudden, Jacob is sending his sons back to that area and, uh, he all of a sudden starts thinking, I'm not sure this is wise. I think Jacob had a cog loose in some of his wisdom, but, uh, uh, Shechem would have been a Sodom and Gomorrah type place, very paganistic, and, uh, and it would be a downfall for them. So this is where they sent them to pasture. And, uh, what happens is, is that, uh, they, they move on to Dothan. <clears throat> so Dothan is about eight miles, like like you're going to be quizzed on this. But but it, so it, we're looking at about 58 to 60 miles from Hebron. And so what Jacob does is he takes Joseph, his favorite son, memory of the coat of many colors, and he calls him to himself and he said, I want you to go and see if it is well with your brothers. Now the word well there, it is well, is actually the word shalom. That you go to Israel today, you greet everybody with shalom. It means, are they prosperous? Are they doing well? Are they uh, abundant in, in life right now? And so he sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. And uh, you, you got to know trouble's coming. Envy is huge in this area. But I've told you before, and I want you to grab this right now. The hero of this book is Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it is pointing to Jesus. Either the people that Jesus came from, or his his life on earth, or us uh, awaiting and how to live until he returns again. But every uh every word in here you can you can see Jesus in, especially in the story of Joseph, because there's a lot of parallels with the life of Jesus. Let me give you one right quick that we just Read and you're going to see that and say, oh yeah, because the Bible comes alive when you start seeing Jesus in things. So the 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 term Hebron, the town, means fellowship. The father Jacob is with his favored son Joseph in fellowship, and Jacob sends his son Joseph to go and check on the shalom of his brothers uh, while they are in a distant land. Look at it this way. Our heavenly Father has his favorite son Jesus. He sends his he sends Jesus to check on our shalom, which eventually he gives his life on a cross, so that we are brought in wholeness with Christ. Isn't that good? I didn't make that up. That that's right there, and and you see you see um, uh, that in there. So let's go on and pick it up in verse eighteen. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, now Reuben is the oldest brother, when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us take his life. Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, 
There was no water in it. The pit would have been a cistern where water, uh, they would have had water, but there was no water. It would have been deep enough so that Joseph could not get out of, of this. But notice what it says in verse 18. It says they saw him from afar. And that they, when they saw him, all of a sudden it sprang up in their heart that they wanted to kill him. Now, I had an older brother. I have an older brother, four years older. And when we were little, he would beat me up. He would lock me out of the house. He would threaten to stick my head in the toilet and flush it, swirly kind of thing. You know, all those kind of things that older brothers do. But he never even crossed his mind about killing me. And so that's how envious these ten brothers are. They look out there. They see their brother. They saw that coat that showed his favored status. And they look out there and see that. And they the automatic thing comes up in their heart. We're going to kill him. I, I want to make a point here, though, that we need to grasp. Notice that they hated him in their heart and they planned to kill him. Their hearts were totally uh, hard and deceived. It, Jeremiah says the heart is deceptive above all. In other words, they planned in their heart before an action ever came about. You see, sin doesn't begin in the action. Sin begins in the heart. And what happens is, is that sometimes we're guilty even as Christians to try to teach people to do certain actions instead of transforming their heart. So often we want our government or we want lost people to act a different way. Listen, they're just acting according to their heart. And so we have to understand that unless there's a transformation of the heart, nothing will be lasting. And so the brothers had this deceitfulness in their heart. So what I want to challenge you is, has your heart been transformed? Yes, we want to teach our kids to be respectful. Yes, we want to teach them to do right. We want to live a particular way that keeps our land safe and that kind of stuff. But you can do that stuff and not have your heart transformed. Because the heart is deceitful. And you must have your heart transformed. Well, Mark, how do I do that? Well, that's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring life to dead people. We are dead in our sins and trespasses and we have life in Christ. Amen? That's what he came to bring. And and you notice on in the passage right here that it says uh, uh, they stripped him of his robe. Now, his robe was showed favor. It shows uh, it shows uh, integrity. It showed many things. I went over those last week. But it was his identity. And what the brothers did is they stripped that off of him because they wanted to destroy his identity. And so they stripped it off of him, and now he's left in shame as he has no clothes. And they throw him in that pit. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, remember Jesus when he was going to the cross, they stripped off his garment and they gambled for his garments at the foot of the cross because they were wanting to strip him of his dignity and his identity. But let me tell you, that was not, it was not in his clothing. It was in who he was as the son of God. And so we see Joseph here. He is stripped down to shame and he's thrown in the pit. And uh, 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 thank goodness for an older brother. Reuben, Reuben stands up and he says, let's not kill him. 
Let's not do this. Now, why did Reuben step up? Well, many people think maybe he had a good heart. Maybe he's the firstborn. He's wanting to honor his father in this. But there's a little deception in Reuben as well. Back in Genesis 35, he uh, he falls into sin, a sin area with his father's concubine. And his father is angry with him about that. And so he feels like if he can take care of Joseph, it will get him back into good graces with his father. And and he says, let us not kill him. You know, this reminds me another time in the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus, uh, before he was crucified, he came before Pilate. And Pilate brought him out in front of the people and says, uh, I see no fault in this man. Just like Reuben saw you know, we can't do this to our brother. Pilate said, we can't do this to Jesus. But how did the people respond? Crucify him, crucify him. And so he ended up giving in to the crowd. And, and that took place. Let's look at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, then they sat down to eat. Imagine how calloused you are. Uh, it tells us in, in Genesis 41, it says that actually Joseph was crying out. From the pit. Can you imagine this? He's crying out, guys, save my life. I know I've been a jerk. I know I've been the spoiled one, but don't do this to me. And, and notice what the brothers are doing. They sat down and ate. That's calloused. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, God's plan is to get Joseph to Egypt and eventually all of Israel to get to Egypt so Moses can lead them out of Egypt to a promised land. Eventually Jesus is going to come there in the fullness of time, it says it. So God has this plan to get Joseph to Egypt, but he, he really goes this roundabout way because he's testing the character of Joseph before he gets him down there. Now, it says that there were Ishmaelite traders. Now, what's the big deal about these traders? Uh, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. To me, it's huge deal. Because I, 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 history lesson, but it's, it's so important the way God works. Abraham, the grandfather of Jacob, his, his son was Isaac. God came to Abraham and said, you're going to have descendants as much as the stars in the sky. Abraham was old in age. His wife Sarah was also uh, old in age. And they thought, we cannot have children. So Sarah said, here, take my handmaiden Hagar and have a child through Hagar. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to have a child through Sarah. So, But yet Abraham, he's going to give in to this. And so he has a, a child by Hagar by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael, it was not the son of promise. Isaac was going to be the son of promise. And so what happens is, is that eventually they have Isaac. Ishmael is a thorn in their flesh. And he grows off and starts a a uh, group, uh, a nation of people. 
And isn't it amazing that God in his incredible ways of doing things can take a disobedient sin, a fleshly move in the life of Abraham that brought Ishmael, that God was eventually going to bring a nation that would be coming through on this caravan route to take somebody from the promised family down to Egypt. And that's the way God works. And and basically it's this, if you're not keeping up with me. God can use even failures and sins to accomplish his plans. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. got to grab that. Our God is big. And he has a plan. And he can work it out. Let's go on. Well, here's one other thought. You look at the parallels of Joseph and Jesus. They were both sold as slaves. And they were sold for silver. Here we go in verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. They couldn't even say Is this our brother's? Is it your son's robe? And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, and he put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You'll hear more about Potiphar next week. But notice what they did. Reuben was not there when they sold him for some reason. But they decided to take the robe, rip it up, put blood on it so that they, so they could deceive their father. And then it says they sent the robe to the father. They didn't even show up initially with the robe. Can you imagine that servant? Oh, uh, Jacob, here, here, this, you, I think you're your son's robe here. And they destroyed it with the blood on it. It isn't interesting. The sin of envy that if it's a, a, around an object or a possession that you would rather destroy it if, if, you can't have it. Nobody can have it. You ever seen that? And they decided we're going to destroy this jacket and, and rip it to shreds, put blood on it, and they get it to Jacob. Okay? And eventually they show up and they say, oh, is this your son's jacket? No. Their deception just runs all through this family. And notice what Jacob's response is. Jacob's response was to go into mourning and he could not be comforted at all. Now, here's my thought. Jacob knew he was a deceiver. He knew he, his sins in his life. He knew he had been unfaithful in many ways. And I think as a father, when he heard this happen to Joseph, instead of blaming his sons, he blamed himself. You ever been there? You know, God, I deserve this. I deserve this for the way I've lived. What I want to do is I want to give you four quick so what's out of this passage. But I, but I've got a preface before I say this. These won't be long. 
But I got a preface before I say this. I'm going to be talking for a few minutes about parenting. And uh, there's a lot of things I would rather talk about than parenting. Because out of all of the things that Pam and I have done in life, the things we've overcome, the things we've worked through, we would both say the hardest thing we've ever done in life is parenting. You that without kids are thinking, oh, brother, that's what I need to hear. Birth control. Listen to me preach. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, but parenting is hard. Uh, and I think that all of you that have been parents would agree with me. Yes, there are euphoric moments, but then there are pit moments. They're, they're bad. Both are there. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you out of the life of Jacob in how he dealt with his dysfunction in family. And uh, these, are, I think, will be helpful to you as a parent. I think they will be challenging because they are truthful. Number one is this. Passive parenting leads to future problems. Jacob had a problem of being a passive parent. We don't see that he ever dealt with Simeon and Levi correctly about how they wiped out Shechem. He doesn't really deal with Reuben, his firstborn, when he sinned against him with his concubine. He he just seems to have taken a route of being a passive parent. He just let it happen and was permissive in, in these things. And listen, parenting is not for the faint of heart by any stretch. Because you see, if we're going to parent and be active and participants with our children, we have got to learn their bent. We live in a culture today that expects every child to either get a scholarship in um, in sports or dance or cheerleading or or something because we start them when they're little bitty. We uh, we were at our granddaughter Mia's volleyball game yesterday. She's eight years old, and uh, so we're there. Uh, this is just beginning volleyball, and. Uh, I'm sitting there, and not that I was expecting great things, uh, but I'm sitting up, Pam and I were sitting up, socially distanced, with our mask on, with the parents, and, you know, the they throw it over, or a kid would try to serve, and, and the parents are saying, good job, good job, and I'm thinking, that was terrible. They, they, <laughs> they didn't, that was terrible, you're plotting nothing there, but, but. But that was just my mindset. I could I could look out there and said that kid's not going to get a scholarship. That kid's not. Gonna get a that kid's not. But yeah, we think in our parental way of doing things because we want to put them in a. Our culture says this is where you place them. This is what you do. This is considered elevated in life. And so what we do is we push kids into an area that they don't have a bent for, and we use proverbs. The the out of proverbs. Raise up in a child, raise up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he won't not depart from it. Well, we say, yeah, raise him up. Let's put him in church. Let's put him in small groups. Let's put him in youth group. Let's, they, they we're raising him up. <clears throat> That's not what that means, even though those are very healthy, constructive things. What it means is, if you raise up a child in the way they are bent, or in other words, in the way that God has created them, and God is creative, and so you 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 put them 
you learn their bent. You got to study your children. And as you study your children, then you're able to give them guidelines as they move forward. You know what Paul said in, in a book of Ephesians chapter six? He said, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Well, what does that mean? It means quit pushing them into areas that they feel totally out of place, that they can't do it. They're not wired that way. Yes, they need to learn things that they can't do. But you know what I'm talking about. That kid has a bent, and let's help guide them in that bent. And uh, that's active participant parenting. And there's a difference between active participant and helicopter. I'm not going to get into that right now. But there's a difference in those two things. And so it takes time to learn your kids. It, it, uh, you never know when a quality teachable moment will arise. So you must be present. So passive parenting leads to future problems. Number two, beware of being more concerned of your image than unconditionally loving your children. Beware of more, being more concerned of your image than uh, unconditionally loving your children. Beware of putting performance standards on your kids because you think they make you look better. How many of us have heard stories about preacher's kids, right? I mean, preacher's kids. They, they, uh, and there's, there's stories that about preacher's kids. And, uh, we always were fearful of our three kids raised up in a, a pastor's home. And uh, because are seen through a microscope so often, and I would take our kids aside and I would talk to them about uh, some peer pressure is good. It keeps you in line. But, but you know, I, I never wanted my kids to be put under a microscope in such a way they could not even breathe to do that. And I would tell them, you see, I am called to follow Jesus and to love Jesus. Secondly, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church and to raise my family. Thirdly, I'm called to you guys here at the church. And I would tell my kids that if you ever feel like it is undue pressure on you, I will walk away from the church. Not the church church, but to walk away from pastoring. Because I am called to love them. And uh, so we would talk about those things. And I was always concerned. And, and, and then you get concerned. I'm just being transparent. And then we would get concerned, and, and kids would feel this, is that, oh, this reflects on dad. This reflects on dad. And one of our daughters was, uh, during the college years, was, was, uh, had drifted. And uh, uh, I was concerned, obviously. We were concerned as parents. And uh, because this was a way they were not raised in, in this kind of thing. And I'll never forget just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When he really spoke to my heart, Mark, you're more concerned about how that people are going to think about you than you are about unconditionally loving your daughter. And I knew it was true. I knew it was true. So what do I do? Call up my daughter. I said, please forgive me. This isn't about me. And uh, so often. We just we think our kids just reflect on us. But it's all about us. It's not. Kids are going to make decisions. When they get grown up, they're going to make decisions. Some of those decisions aren't going to be the decision you want them to make. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. Are you disappointed? Yeah. Yeah, you're disappointed. 
but yet you're going to unconditionally love them even if they're in the far country. You should. All right. It's gotten quiet in here. Number three, don't let your past be an excuse for passive parenting. I think Jacob thought, I am a deceiver. I cannot be comforted because I brought this on my kids myself. And he was punishing himself for the decisions his kids made. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. We gotta give ourselves some grace. We gotta be authentic and transparent. I've heard, um, parents say before in raising the, especially their teenage kids, they, they, they would say something like this. I know how I was as a teenager and I was really out there and sowing wild oats and this kind of stuff. And, and so, my kids at least not as bad as I was. And they would use it as an excuse to not be involved in tr- true discipline. Listen, listen, we all messed up. We've all messed up. Let's just be honest. We're all messed up in this room anyway. And we cannot use our sins of the past to allow our kids to have a permissible way of doing things. We have got to realize we have a God of redemption and reconciliation. And he brings wholeness to us so that why? We can love our children so that why? They can look like Jesus. And so we we cannot use our past as an excuse to be passive in our parenting. You've received the forgiveness of God. Walk in that forgiveness. Help your kids to not make the same mistakes you made. The fourth thing that I want to give you does not have to do with parenting. But yet it is so overwhelming in this passage. God will use previous failures and sins to accomplish his plans. God will use previous failures and sins to accomplish his plans. Listen, if he can use Abraham's sinful choice of having an illegitimate child that eventually he's going to have slave traders from that nation come and get Joseph, let me tell you, he can use whatever you've gone through. He can reconcile whatever you've gone through. Well, Mark, I had an abortion, or Mark, I had a divorce, or Mark, uh, uh, you know, I abused somebody, or Mark, I have a prison sentence, or Mark, I, I have an addiction. Okay, okay. First start is admitting you have a broken spot. Now, let's give it to God because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we go forward in the grace of what he has done for us. And we understand that, God, you can even use when I was in sinful in the far country, you can still use that to get me off the sidelines and into plain where you want me to be so that your will and your plan can be accomplished. Amen? That's what he can do. Listen, I, I know we've all messed up. That's why I, I love this place. I love the grace of this church. Because we're willing to admit we're all messed up. But God is a reconciling, redemptive, graceful God. Let me close with this. Remember, God is at work testing the character of Joseph because he wants to get Joseph to Egypt, Israel down to Egypt, Moses out of Egypt, to the promised land. Eventually, Jesus is born in the fullness of time. 
God is working on our character as well. Charles Lindbergh, the great pilot who flew the spirit of St. Louis, he said this, and I I think it's an incredible statement. He said, short-term survival may depend on the knowledge of nuclear physicists and the performance of supersonic aircraft, but long-term survival depends alone on the character of man. We must remember that it was not the outer grandeur of the Roman, but the inner simplicity of the Christian that lived on through the ages. In other words, it is not the big show. It is us day in and day out letting God define our character as we draw near to him and see the difference he will make in our world. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. I want to just challenge you in your heart because Brett's going to come and we're going to sing and some of you are going to run out of here and, and you didn't take time just to get still and know that he is God. So let me challenge you in some areas. First of all is this. Has your heart been transformed? You can act like a Christian, but have you truly been born again have you truly surrendered and submitted to him and asked the lord into your life to forgive you and to make you whole for your shalom your personal peace and the forgiveness you need anybody can act like a christian but can you react can your can your heart be transformed secondly Have you been allowing previous failures and sins to keep you from being used of God? You've uh, allowed them to sideline you. Abuse, abortion, divorce, sin areas, addictions. You saying, God, you can take me to heaven, but you can't use me here. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And so, maybe today, you need to confess that to God. Lord, I'm tired of being on the sideline. I'm tired. And then thirdly, I know we as parents, we feel guilty a lot. We we want to love our kids correctly. And you can't do it on your own. You need You need the grace of God. You need His unconditional love so you can pass on that unconditional love. Maybe today you just need to lay your parenting at the foot of the cross and say, God, help me to be the parent you've called me to be, to love as you love, to be involved as you're involved. So, Father, I pray over us today, for us that are here, for those that are watching online, Lord, just that you would speak to us now. Lord, that we would just come and submit and surrender to you today.